Here's what I said back at the start of our series on Hosea. If you're going to sell a house, they tell you, paint the walls in neutral colours. Paint your rooms magnolia or natural calico. Or some people like some mild pastel shades. Well, Hosea would have none of that. He'd paint one wall blackest black and another scarlet red and another brightest yellow. Uh, Hosea is like that in bold, striking, shocking colours. He tells us about God's extravagant love and God's terrifying judgment. And if you tone that down, if you try watering down the red and the yellow into a, a pale orange, you'll be missing out. Because God is better than any version of him you could make up. And Hosea reveals what God is really like. His wrath and judgment are stark and terrifying, but his love is deep and warm and far reaching. And we mustn't try to water down either of them. And I want us to see the the second part of that this evening, his love. And I want us to see it from Hosea chapters 11 and 14. So would you turn with me, please, to Hosea 11 and 14? It will really help you to follow if you've got that in front of you. If you open your Bible in the middle and go rapidly forward, you'll get Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, Ezekiel and Hosea. Except I got Ezekiel and Daniel the wrong way round, didn't I? Never mind. Then you'll get Hosea. And we want chapters 11 and 14. Now, these are beautiful chapters where where you see God as the rejected but still loving father. And then are called to come back home to him. So if you're not trusting the Lord Jesus, this evening is a call for you to see God as the loving father and turn to him. If this evening you are a Christian who has wandered away from God, if you in some way have your back turned to him, maybe you're clinging on to a particular sin or maybe you've drifted. This evening is a call to come back home to him. And for all other Christians, this evening is with the aim to lift you up with a sight of God's love, to infuse and help you to tell the gospel to unbelievers and to show you what to do. If you fall into sin. So we're going to go through chapters 11 and 14. If you've got the notice sheet that went out via email, that will help you as it shows the structure we're going to follow through. And first of all, we have the rejected but still loving father in chapter 11. The rejected but still loving father. Hosea 11 is a glimpse of God's family photo album. And you see pictures of the father bringing home his adopted son. You see pictures of that son making his first steps and being fed his first food. But there's also some pain running through this album because this adopted son is one who's run off from home. Let's look into the family photo album and first see God's love for his son. Verses one to four. Verse one, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. When God rescued Israel from Egypt, he said, this is Exodus four. He said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go. 
there we've got it. Israel is God's firstborn son. The exodus from Egypt was God rescuing his adopted son. And the the exodus from Egypt was also a picture of our salvation. In both the exodus and our salvation, God chooses whom he will save and initiates it. In both, there is slavery and God giving freedom from slavery. In both, there's a Passover lamb that must be sacrificed for the people to be redeemed. In both, those freed are adopted by God and then led. In one case, by a pillar of cloud and fire. In another case, by the Holy Spirit. Led through a difficult wilderness, led to an inheritance, the promised land. And in both, God's love is this tender fatherly care. I'm sure you've seen a father taking taking his child, little toddler child, by the hands and leading the child as he teaches the child to walk. I'm sure you've seen a father or a mother squatting down and saying, come, come on, come to me and encouraging that child to take its first step. And God says, that was me with Israel. Verse three, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, personally involved. Sometimes a child is ill and the child wants to eat, let's say, marshmallows or Haribos. But the parent, instead of giving those sweets, gives medicine. The child doesn't appreciate it, but it's for the child's good. And God says, That was me with Israel. Verse three. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. Here's another photo in the family photo album. There's a tiny incident in my life back when I was a teenager that sticks visually in my memory. I came off a train onto a platform and there was a little girl on the platform. And a man got off the train and her face lit up and she ran to him shouting, Daddy, jumped into his arms and he picked her up, swung her around and held her up to his cheek. And God says, that was me with Israel. Verse four, I'm going to read to you from the 2011 NIV of verse four, which says to them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. Verse four is actually quite hard to translate Um, that bit. If you've got like me, the 1984 NIV, I've got I lifted the yoke from their neck is probably better in the 2011 NIV. I was like one who lifted a child to the cheek. Can you picture it? And God was not some aristocrat whose servants can feed the children. I'm too busy. Don't let them bother me. Keep them at a distance. The servants can feed them. No. Verse four. I bent down to feed them. Are you getting the picture of God's fatherly love? Are you getting a glimpse into his photo album and seeing here's a father who's very much involved and very caring? Now, I said this morning, I think it's worth us knowing a bit of church history. Here's another bit of church history. The greatest theologian that England has produced would probably be John Owen. John Owen was chancellor of Oxford University at the time of 
Oliver Cromwell. So as you might imagine, pretty clever chap. Got a reputation for being hard to understand. But here's something simple he said. Well, I must admit I've simplified it. Here it is. Many saints have their lives burdened by this. They don't see what a loving father God is. And therefore they keep their distance from him. They don't see that being a loving father is the primary characteristic of God. There you go. If you thought these Puritans were all nasty people, impossible to understand. Well, there's the hardest one to understand. And this is what he said. Some people, some Christians, they are Christians, but they live their lives burdened with not recognizing how loving God is. Not seeing how worth seeking he is. And then John Owen says, being a loving father is the primary characteristic of God. You know, if someone who knew nothing about God said to you, what is God like? Oh, sorry, we've. We back. Good. We went blank here. OK, we're back. If someone who didn't know anything about God um, said to you, what God, what is God like? What would you start with? Maybe you start with creation and God's power. Maybe you start with God appearing to Isaiah and his holiness. That, that, that would be great. But the best revelation of God is Jesus. And of course, Jesus came as God's son to reveal God as father, as a loving father. But as we look through this family photo album, we find it's got a gap in it. As we get to, let's say, 18 years old, we find there's no more photos because now we find the son turns away from the father. This is verse two and five and verse five to seven. The son turns away from the father. God had done so much for Israel, but Israel thought he'd be better off worshipping idols. Verse two. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. I think of a teenager I knew whose mother provided for him, but also set boundaries that he didn't like. And his dad, that the marriage had split up, his dad said to him, come and live with me. I won't make you keep to those boundaries. I'll let you do what you like. You can have what you want. But that father didn't care for his son and the son ended up dead. And Israel is like that here. Let's get away from this God with his rules that restrict us. Let's find another God that's more convenient for us. But worshipping idols will take them back to slavery. Verse five. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? You see, God is a father, but he's a father who will exercise tough love. Verse six, swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. It's like a father whose son has been rebellious and the father has cared for him and taught him and disciplined him and provided for him. But when the son at 18 years old goes off to live in a house full of squatters, the father has to say, I've done what I can. He'll have to learn the hard way. Well, actually, God goes further than that. Verse six isn't just leave them alone. Verse six is active punishment. Now, do you remember what the aim of Hosea is? The aim of Hosea is repentance. 
turning. And Hosea sprinkles the word for turning across his book. So verse five. They will be turned back to Egypt because, verse five, they refuse to turn from their sins. And verse seven, they are determined to turn. Again, it's the repenting word, but this time turn from God. Well, that's Israel. There's a gap in the family photo album because Israel's turned away. Are you like Israel? Is there anyone with us this evening and you're turning your back on God? Maybe there's a particular sin you don't want to let go of. And that means you're turning your back on God. Is there anyone with us this evening and you're thinking of packing up the Christian faith? Maybe you've already drifted away from God and you're still meeting with us, but your heart's not in it anymore. Hosea's message is for you. But the father hasn't given up his son. He hasn't lost his love for his son. And so we next have the father's longing for his son. Verses eight to eleven. Verse eight. How can I give you up, Ephraim? By the way, Ephraim is another name for Israel because it was the biggest tribe of Israel. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. This is one of the most amazing verses for for getting a glimpse of God's heart. Israel should be wiped out. But God says, how can I do it? I love Israel too much for that. Now, what's this in verse eight about Adma and Zeboim? Do you know? Ever heard of them before? Well, they were two of the five cities overthrown in the Dead Sea Plain when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And that is very significant. Hosea had a contemporary you've heard of, Isaiah. And Isaiah said to Israel, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen, you people of Gomorrah. In other words, Israel was like Sodom and Gomorrah. But here God says, I can't treat them like Sodom and Gomorrah. I can't even treat them like Admar and Zeboyim. It just oh, it pains me too much to do it. Children, I wonder, have you ever wrung out a wet cloth? Maybe your flannel for washing your face and you you wring it out. Have you done that? You wring it out. You give it a good squeeze and you wring it out. And here in verse eight, God says, my heart is like that. My heart is being wrung out. The thought of Israel being destroyed, it hits me in the pit of the stomach. Have you got a feel for verse eight? Don't you dare ever think of God as harsh and uncaring. Or think, well, the Old Testament God was like that until Jesus came along and made things better. Now, why is God doing this? Why is he saying, I just can't do this judgment? Oh, it gets to me too much. Verse nine. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the holy one among you. Now, did you expect that to be the reason? God won't do this because of his holiness. 
Surely you'd expect God won't do this because of his love. Doesn't his holiness demand that he punishes? His love says, no, I won't. Well, we have too narrow a view of holiness. Yes, holiness is purity, is hatred of sin. But holiness is also God's distinctiveness. That, as he says in verse nine, he's not a man. He's not like us. He's different. His anger against sin is more serious than ours. You know, we get a grudge and over time it fades. We get a temper and hopefully it passes quickly. God's anger is much more serious and lasting than that. But his love is also more serious than ours. And he will keep his covenant and he will not let a single one of his promises fail. And so he's. He's going to pull back from judging them. And you might say, but how can he? How can he pull back? He's, he's shown that judging them is the just thing to do. Surely he's got to follow that through. Well, I'll try to show you how he can do it. But in a way, you need to be switched on for and concentrating. I'm not denying. I'm not I'm not claiming you're not a switched on person. But uh, listen carefully to this. Verse one. Verse one, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, have you heard somewhere else that phrase out of Egypt? I called my son. It's in the beginning of Matthew. When Jesus has had to go as a as a refugee to Egypt and then out of Egypt, God called his son. And some people say, Matthew, that's a misuse of the Old Testament. Hosea isn't talking about Jesus. Well, actually, yes, he is in some ways, because Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true son of God. He is the obedient son Israel failed to be. Israel was called out of Egypt and then rebelled. Jesus is the son who was called out of Egypt and carried on obeying. Do you know what happened to rebellious sons in the Old Testament? This will sound really harsh, but God knows best. If a son persisted in rebellion, he had to be executed. Deuteronomy 21 says that. But Deuteronomy 21 also says that don't leave the executed person's body hanging on a tree because that's a sign of being under God's curse. Now, do you see where I'm going with this? If you put all of that together. Jesus is the son who's called out of Egypt and unlike Israel, there's no rebellion in him. He obeys, but he is executed like a rebellious son. And not only that, his body is left hanging on a tree to show he's under God's curse. And it's because of that that even though Israel hasn't yet turned, God will turn. Verse nine A better translation is, I will turn from ruining Ephraim. They haven't turned yet, but I will turn from ruining Ephraim. Do you see that word turn there again? It keeps coming up in Hosea. They haven't repented, but it's as if God's repenting for them. He's going to turn from ruining them. Because Jesus has taken the punishment. God can turn from his anger and call them now to turn to him. And he calls them in a very strange way. Can you see it in verse 10? 
Do you expect God to call you like this? Verse 10. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. Uh, Children, if a lion roars, would you come towards the lion? No, you wouldn't. But if you've read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you might know there was a good lion. And if he roared and called you, you would come to him. But you would come trembling, wouldn't you? If you've read the book, you'd know he's good, but he's still a lion. So you'd still be trembling. And there's good reason to tremble when you come to God, because to the unrepentant, he's like this sort of lion. I'll read you from chapter 13, verse six, chapter 13, verse six. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. See the danger of wealth and comfort. So I will come upon them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk by the path like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal will tear them apart. See the bold colours again of Hosea to the unrepentant. God is like a bear that rips apart, like a lion that tears with its teeth. And to the repentant, God is like a father with open arms. That father Jesus told us about with open arms, welcoming back the lost son, the rebellious son. Have you seen what God is like? Have you been amazed at his love? If there's any distance between you and God, you need to see how loving he is. You need to see how welcoming he is. You need to see how he even longs to have you with him. Well, there we hear about God's side in chapter 11. But now more briefly, let's hear our side in chapter 14. There is what God does in chapter 11. Chapter 14, what should we do? Come back home to the father. That's chapter 14. Come back home to the father. We're back to that big theme of Hosea, repentance. Verse one. Return, O Israel. See it? Return. That's repent. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Return, turn, repent. It's so essential. Eternal life depends on this that we get another description of repentance and we need to hear it because we need to check we are repenting. Repentance involves speaking to God. Verse two, take words with you and return, repent to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. You see, if you've sinned, you need to take words with you to God, speak to him and admit it. You've got to openly, explicitly admit it. Don't just try to move on without admitting it. Imagine a husband has an affair with a work colleague and he moves out of the family home and moves in with this woman. And then after a while, he realises I'm being a fool. I am wrecking myself and my family. And back home he goes and he acts like a good husband and a good father. And him and his wife, they both know what's happened. But he never says sorry. Uh, Yeah, he does good things for her, but he never talks about what happened. 
He never explicitly, openly, clearly acknowledges what he's done and the damage it's caused. Well, that is going to be an open wound, an unhealed wound in that marriage. And it's probably not going to last. And if you've sinned against God and don't openly, explicitly acknowledge it to him, that's going to be like an un, an, an open wound, unhealed, damaging your relationship with him. I think it's worth saying that's true also when you've sinned against someone else in the church. Don't think, oh, well, I'll just move on. I'll show I'm okay with them by doing nice things to them. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to humbly acknowledge it if you expect the wound to be healed. So we must go to God and acknowledge it. And we ask him, what for? Have a look at verse two. The gospel is so clear. What do we ask God for? Verse two, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. (laughs) It's such good gospel here. We need forgiveness, our record wiped clean. And the gospel is great having that status, but the gospel is more than just a status. It's also God, please receive me, welcome me. And I need that to be gracious. In other words, from God's grace, his undeserved goodness. Repentance involves speaking to God, verse two, and verse three, renouncing all other hopes. Give up all other hopes. What did Israel hope in? Verse three, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. Now, this might sound very foreign to you because I doubt anyone listening is trusting in Assyria or war horses or wooden idols. Are you? I doubt it. But they're a pretty good representation of the things we tend to trust. Assyria represents other people. War horses represents things that look strong and dependable. And those idols they made represent what we have done, what we achieve, what our hands have made. And I think we have a big tendency to keep trusting those three. And repentance involves saying they won't save me. They won't satisfy me. They are not good enough. Instead, I'm going to trust God. Verse three, for in you, the fatherless find compassion. Notice in chapter 14, Hosea is saying to Israel, this is what you need to say. You need to say God in you, the fatherless, find compassion. God, I'm trusting you to be a father to me. I'm like an orphan unless you take me in. Repentance involves speaking to God, renouncing those other things we trust and making it clear we trust him. And then God speaks to us. Verses four to eight is God speaking. Verse four, I will heal their waywardnesses and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Do you see again the uh, the gospel so clear here? Three ways we need God to heal that tendency in us to go astray, that bias after sin. We need God to love us freely, love us, not not conditional on on us managing to be good enough. We need God to turn our 
his anger away from us. Notice the word turning again. It's that repent word. His anger should rain down on Israel and on us. How is it going to be turned away? Well, we've had a lot of rain recently, haven't we? It's not been very July like. Uh, If you're out in the rain, how does the rain get turned away from you? Put up your umbrella and the rain hits the umbrella and it turns away from you. And if it's not too irreverent to say Jesus is our umbrella, God's anger rained down on him and it turns away from us. And then we get verse five. I will be like the dew to Israel. Do you remember we had this before? We had it last week. In chapter 10 and we had it the week before in chapter 6 God being like the dew or like refreshing showers or like rain coming down at springtime so I'll just give the same illustration as I did last time if you go to Dubai it's an amazing place they've got so much money so much technology they can erect the world's tallest tower They have even built new islands in the sea. So they've got more beach line for tourists. They've got these amazing air conditioned buildings, but they cannot make it rain. They cannot give themselves dew on the ground. They're still an arid desert. In other words, God here says, I'll do what you can't do for yourself. I will refresh you. I will make you fruitful. I'll make you like a tree. Do you see that in verse five? I'll make you like a tree. What sort of tree? What sort of tree will God make you like? Well, you might say a cedar. You'd be right because it says strong like a cedar. But it's not just a cedar, is it? If you look on to verse six, you'll be strong like a cedar and you'll be splendid like an olive tree and you'll smell nice like a cedar and you'll flourish like a field of corn. And you'll blossom like a vine and you'll produce good wine like a vine. Do you see it's a hybrid of all the best trees? It's this amazing, impossible hybrid of all the best trees. It's a tree that's fruitfully enduring. Can you think of other places in the Bible with a tree like this? You might think of Psalm 1. The righteous man is like a tree refreshed by streams of water and fruitfully enduring. You might think of Jesus saying his kingdom is like a tree so big that all the nations can shelter in it. Just like here we have in verse six that people will come and be sheltered in your shade. You might think of Jesus in John 15 saying he's the vine and we are his branches. We get our fruit from him. Or to put it in Hosea's language, verse eight. This is Jesus speaking now. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. You see, the Bible is such a unified book. It's all one. Repent and God makes you like a tree and your fruitfulness comes from Jesus. He's the pine tree or he's the vine and our fruit comes from him. Well, there we have it. God warns of judgment. But he also wins us with his love. He says, I'll shower my good gifts on you. I'll win back my adulterous wife. I'll welcome back my rebellious son. And I'll make you like a tree, stable, fruitful, reliable, beautiful. So have you seen the bold colours of Hosea? 
Have you taken in these these colours he paints in? Have you taken the warning seriously? Have you taken the promises trustingly? How do you react to the bold colours that Hosea paints in? Here's how you should react. Verse nine. Hosea gives us his own conclusion. Verse nine. Who is wise? He will realise these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. As you've heard the warnings that they made you stumble. No, I don't want that. I don't like that sort of God. And you stumble at his word. Or has he won you back to him? And you'll walk in his ways.